0: Numbers, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, he shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried, and the days of his separate all the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. So the first thing here is during the time of a Nazarite vow they were to have nothing that uh, that came from grapes. So this isn't just wine or, or strong drink. This, is, this includes grape juice. You know, he couldn't even have his, his welches, okay? So you couldn't have raisins. So that was, um, that was the first thing. It goes on and it says, All the days of his vow, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let his locks of hair of his head grow long. I mean, this would make it so that he would have a different lifestyle Um, during this time, not having anything that came from grapes. That would be a a very, very different thing among the people that he was around. Uh, But also, he would look visibly different, uh, having his uh, hair very long and not touching it at all until uh, the time was completed. And the last thing, it says, "...all the days he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body..." not even for his father or for his mother or, or brother or sister if they die. He shall make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So this is kind of the background of what's going on here. This is this optional Nazarite vow, but God is telling, uh, through the angel of the Lord, uh, Manoah's wife, that, he, that Samson, the son that's to be born, is supposed to be a Nazarite from, from birth. And he also tells her That she is to also to drink uh, no wine herself, and he says this uh, to her. We see um, in verse seven: "Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then, drink no wine or strong drink, and let nothing unclean and eat nothing unclean. For the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death." So this applied to Samson, and it also applied to Manoah's wife. And I think we can figure out, I mean, the reason for that. If they wanted uh, the baby to be separated from this and to be holy, uh, in a sense, from not doing this, well, they understood that if if Manoah's wife is ingesting this, that this goes to uh, the baby as well. And the angel of the Lord knows that when the mother drinks, the, the baby drinks as well. And with this, I think it's interesting to notice uh, that this year, something that I think does tie into this is this year in February, the the CDC actually issued new guidelines for any women of childbearing age to not drink alcohol at all if there's a chance that she might become pregnant. And I think this took a lot of people by uh, uh, kind of a shock because this wasn't coming from. Conservative Christians, this is coming from the CDC. Now, let me just read a little bit. It says, according to the CDC and the U.S. Surgeon General, it says, quote, there is no known safe amount of alcohol to drink when pregnant. There is also no safe time during pregnancy to drink and no safe kind of alcohol. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, there's no safe amount of alcohol when a, a, when a, woman, is, when a woman is pregnant Evidence based on research states that even drinking a small amount of alcohol in pregnancy can lead to miscarriages, stillbirth, prematurity, or sudden infant death syndrome. And then uh, some information here uh, from uh, the Association for uh, Fetal Alcohol Syndrome says, when you drink alcohol, so does your developing baby. Any amount of alcohol, even in one glass of wine, passes through the placenta from the mother to the growing baby. Developing babies lack the ability to process or metabolize alcohol through the liver or other organs. They absorb all of the alcohol and have the same blood alcohol concentration as the mother. And it makes no difference if the alcohol uh, drink is consumed in, is a distilled spirit or liquor such as vodka, beer, or wine. Alcohol is a teratogen, a toxic substance to a developing baby, and it can interfere with healthy development causing brain damage, and other birth defects. Most babies negatively affected by alcohol exposure have no physical birth defects. These children have subtle behavioral and learning problems that are often undiagnosed and misdiagnosed, uh, such as autism or attention deficit disorder, instead of one of the fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Now, I know that Christians have different views about alcohol, but I think these are important things that are at least worth considering. And yes, drinking wine was common in biblical times. Um, I think the alcohol acted as an antiseptic, making wine often safer than water because of the bacteria content that was often in water. The Bible is very clear uh, that becoming under the influence of alcohol is always sin. Ephesians five eighteen 18 uh, says that straight out, and we, we should all be able to agree on that. And the Bible also gives many cautions about the negative effects that that can come from alcohol. And these are things that we should really think through. So no matter what Christians have as views on this, I really think that if if we're trying to be wise, we'll at least take all of these things into consideration and into account when we think about this this issue. So Manoah's wife, she was told not to drink because Samson was to be a Nazarite from the womb, to be set apart to God in a special way, And this vow was above and beyond. We said not even grapes, and that was something that was very unusual. Just as a side note, too, you read this account, they're concerned about the baby in the womb here, and I think this is another indication that just lets us know that uh, the angel of the Lord here wasn't considering this just a a clump of cells uh, that would be in Manoah's wife as a part of her body that she could do whatever she wants with. I think there's no way you can read this without realizing that, that God's view is that this baby is a baby, and this baby uh, was intended to be holy unto the Lord. In this last section here, we see Manoah, because Manoah himself hasn't heard about this, and so he hears about it from his wife, but he kind of wants to hear this directly. It says the Manoah... Prayed to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born." I kind of wonder why he's, he's asking this. Uh, for sure, his wife is, has told him this. And I don't know if he's like, "Well, I want to see this for myself," or "I want to hear this for myself." I'm missing out on seeing the angel of the Lord, and he says that he wants to be instructed about what what to do, and he says. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. So he keeps coming to her. So the woman, his wife, ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? So he wants to know what are we supposed to do? What's what with this child? How should we bring him up? What is his what is going to be his task? What is he supposed to do? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. So basically, what the angel of the Lord says to him is, uh, "Well, to answer your question, it's it's what I already I already told your wife this. So just uh, obey what I've what I've already said. Um, I'm telling you the same thing I've I've told your wife. Now I'll just say this, uh, men here. uh, This probably isn't the the main point of the passage, uh, but maybe something we can realize. uh, You know, sometimes men just listen to your wives. You know, they're, they're usually right, and you can just save yourself some time. So, that's not the main point here, but maybe a little extra takeaway. Uh, so, it, the Lord had, had spoken to her. I think another thing that we can take from this is, you know, oftentimes we want to know, know God's secret plan. You know, what do, what do you have planned? What are you going to do? And God had told some things already. He, he said he's going to begin to save uh, Israel from the Philistines. And he had given them instructions about how they were supposed to raise him uh, as w- under this Nazarite vow. I think often we want to know God's secret plan for our life and, and for our kids. But, you know, sometimes we just need to focus on obeying what God has actually straight out told us. And if we do that, if we are obeying God's revealed words and his instructions, oftentimes the rest is going to just fall into place. And it isn't as important, you know, what we accomplish as who we are in our character and our, our devotion to God. But, you know, do we ask this question, the same question that's in verse 12, do we ask this for our children? You know, teach us to do what, what we should do with our children. You know, what should be their manner of life? You know, what should be their mission? And I'm glad that, you know, Manoah and his wife, they're at least thinking of this. I think if so many parents... Uh, And sometimes even parents that go to church that they're not thinking about what does the Lord want for our kids? How does the Lord want us to bring up our kids? How does he want their manner of life to be? What is is the mission in life for our kids? And if we think about it, not necessarily even specifically for Samson, but for all of us, our manner of life. We're to raise them to to follow the Lord. I mean, that's what we want for them. And their mission, ultimately, to, to live for the glory of God. So ultimately, the mission that as parents we should have for our kids, it's not about them going to the right college. It's not ultimately about them being in the right career that you know, gives them security and makes us proud. It's uh, not about them being on the, the right team or having the right friends. Ultimately, our kids exist for God's glory. They don't exist ultimately for our own glory. We also see here that Samson points ahead to a, a more wonderful Savior. So we see here, starting with verse 15, some things about the, about the angel of the Lord. It says, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, and then, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. As we've said several times in Judges, when we see the angel of the Lord, that oftentimes, at first it looks like it's just an angel, but then you realize there's something special, that this is not just an angel, that this is the angel of the Lord is actually the Lord. And I think what makes sense is to recognize that this is actually the second person of the Trinity. This is the Son of God before he became incarnate, Still appearing uh, in in the form of an angel, so he wasn't really a human yet, genuinely like you would be when he came, uh, born of Mary. But this was him appearing. But but Noah didn't quite have that figured out quite yet, and so maybe he thought, well, I'll, I'll prepare a meal. Uh, we see him saying he wants to know the angel's name. And you kind of wonder sometimes in that day, you know, some of the things that they may have absorbed from some of the pagan cultures were that. You know, there's ways that you can kind of manipulate a deity. If you can, uh, you know, uh, prepare a meal for it, or if you can know their name, it gives you some leverage or control over them. And you see the angel, of the, that might be the case, and that might be the reason why the angel of the Lord resists these things, saying, I'm, I'm not going to eat what you make, but if, if you do this, make it a sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 17, And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? <laughs> so that when your words come true, we may honor you. The angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. I'm reading out of the ESV. In the ESV, the New King James, in the NASV, it translates that Hebrew word as, as wonderful. King James says it is secret. The NIV says beyond understanding. And I think all these together can help us get a, get a grasp as far as uh, what... Uh, The Lord here is saying about his name that uh, his name uh, it comes from a root meaning separate or surpassing, ineffable. That's the thing. God is is not a God that we can control, that we can contain, that we can just define and and put in our, our, our box and have completely figured out. He is always a God that is beyond our understanding, that even if you spend your whole life learning about the Lord, and learning just the, the mysteries and the greatness of who he is, that we have just scratched the surface. There are true things that we can know about God because he's revealed them, but there's always so much more. And God is beyond us. And he says, I'm not going to tell you my name. Don't think you can control or manipulate me like that. My name is, my name is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rocks to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. So his name is Wonderful, and Manoah offers it to the God who works wonders, who does amazing things that are beyond our understanding, beyond what we could expect. And Manoah and his wife were watching, and get this, Verse 20, And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. It's like, beam me up. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. I think if you saw this, you, we would be doing the same thing. And they fell on their faces because they realized this is something even beyond just an angel, as amazing as that would be. And they were gripped by the, by the fear of the Lord. And scripture says the fear of the Lord is something, this is good, something positive. It's something that we should have and far too many of us, we, we don't have this. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. The Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. So he figured out this is the angel of the Lord and this is, this is actually God himself. But his wife, said to him, Manoah's having a panic attack, kind of freaking out here, and his wife, uh, who, who's been a little bit the voice of reason through a lot of this, uh, says, it's not like my family, I'll just have to say that. Um, shout out to my wife. Uh, but, but his wife said to him, listen, if, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us, such things as these. I should basically saying to him, if, if God had wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our offering. Okay, we got a good response here. And also, hey, remember, uh, the, the thing he told me is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear a son. Uh, so that doesn't work with him killing us right now. So we're okay here. We, we have a promise from God that we can hang on to. And I think there was something here, I think, in a sense, they were they were both right. I mean, Manoah was right that we should fear the Lord. That we should have a response of healthy awe and respect for God. And that Scripture says if, if you see the face of the Lord, you, you are going to die. Now, this was in the form of an angel. It was a bit different, but he, he understood we've been in the presence of God. And how often do we, even as Bible-believing Christians, we take this idea of being in God's presence is something very light. That we don't cultivate in our hearts a healthy respect for God. In a sense where it is right to tremble before a holy and awesome and wonderful God like we have. But Manoah's wife was also right that because of God's grace, because of God's promise that they had, that we don't have to fear in an unhealthy sense. And that's a great thing for us as Christians to know that because we have God's promise of salvation through Jesus Christ, that we can know that one day we are going to literally stand before a God, that we are going to be on our faces before him. Because it is going to be something of awe and wonder and amazement like none of us have ever experienced. I mean, our, our family, the, we're going to be heading out to, uh, to Yellowstone and we're going to be going out to Colorado for a while and seeing the Rocky Mountains. And I look forward to my kids seeing this and it's going to be beyond what they've ever seen. But I don't care what mountain chains you've seen. I don't care if you've seen the Grand Canyon, what amazing things you have. But when we get to see God, wow. Everything else is going to be just, just nothing. Nothing. We have a a glimpse of his greatness and his wonder through the creation that he made. And yes, let us stand in wonder of that and glorify him through that. But when we see God, and it would be the most terrifying, awful thing that we would ever experience if we didn't stand before him wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ with the promise that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so praise God that if you have trusted Jesus Christ That when you stand before him, you have that that assurance. And if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the most important thing you need to do before leaving this building, before anything else. Because you do not want to stand in front of a holy God as a sinner without Jesus Christ as your Savior. I implore you, come to Jesus Christ as your refuge. Verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The name literally means little son, S U N. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. Three quick things to say at the end. I think one thing we need to remember from this is, yeah we are not all called to take the, the vow of a Nazarite, okay? And there, there are many other things that, that might be optional things that we're not necessarily called to do. But as Christians, we are called to be holy. We are called, the Bible calls us saints. And there should be things about our life that are different from everyone in the world around us. If we just blend in with the culture of, of everyone that does not love God and not obey him, There is a problem in our lives. There need to be things about us that as we love Christ and we follow him are going to make us different. There's going to be things that are different in the way we act that are going to set us apart from everyone else. There are going to be things where people observe us. It might not mean that we have have long hair like a Nazarite, but as people observe us, they should see some things that are different about us. If we just blend in as chameleons to the culture, there is something wrong. We need to remember, too, that our children are never fully our own. They're given to us as a stewardship. They're never even essentially our own. Yes, they are. They're our children. They're our responsibility. They're our our stewardship. And we love them. But ultimately, they belong to God. The same as we do. And you are going to raise your children differently if we get the fact that they are these are trophies for God that we are meant to be for his glory they do not exist for our glory and finally Samson I think through this I mean he's the only this is the only nativity like this in the book of Judges and why is that the case and maybe one thing is that you remember way back to the beginning you had like Othniel the first judge and he came from uh, he was already a pretty pre-existing good guy he had uh, won battles and different things but I think here maybe God is saying he is going to now he's going to make a savior from scratch from the beginning and I think one of the things is that Samson is meant also to point ahead to the ultimate savior I mean it says he would save Israel from the Philistines but there's an ultimate and better and more wonderful Savior that would come. Samson was meant to be a sanctified Savior from the womb. And we're going to see he fails this horribly. Everything he was supposed to do, he betrays and he fails at it. But this just underlines the fact that there's God's promise that one day he would send a different Savior who would be sanctified from the womb and who would not fail and who would accomplish all that he was sent to do. Samson is, is a type of Christ. And Christ would be a better Samson. They both have an unexpected birth. They're both announced in advance by a heavenly messenger, separated to God from the womb, declared to be a Savior, God's Savior. They were claimed by the Spirit, Early in life, the Holy Spirit was upon them both. They were both rejected by their people, arrested and handed over to their enemies. And we'll see this in upcoming weeks. Tortured and made a spectacle. And at last calling out to to God at their death. We'll see that Samson, in his death, destroyed the, the, the pagan god Dagon, the god of his enemies. And that Jesus, in his death, he defeats Satan. Samson was told that he would begin to save Israel, Jesus would finally and completely save all that come to him. Praise God for the better, more wonderful Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks. Your name, your character, who you are is wonderful. You are beyond our comprehension. You do what is unexpected If you did what was expected, Lord God, you should give us what we deserve for our sin. And we admit that that is eternal death and separation, condemnation. But you announced that there would be a Savior. And Samson was not the ultimate Savior. Jesus is our ultimate Savior. And we thank you that he was perfect and sinless from his conception to his death and he remains our sinless Savior today. We praise you. We thank you that we can stand in relationship to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.